Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Trisha Kaffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And today I have a special guest for you. Uh, The book is The Business of Architecture, Your Guide to a Financially Successful Firm by Kathy Dixon, Timothy Kephart, and Carl Moody, published by Routledge in 2018. So, hi, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tricia. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am a practicing architect in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. Um, grew up in uh, Maryland. Um, I went to school in the D.C. area, uh, Harvard University. Uh, I did the East Coast and West Coast. I went to UCLA for graduate school and did a degree in, in planning. But uh, currently, um, I run my uh, own firm, Kadix and Architecture, established in, in 2003. And we are um, uh, focusing on commercial buildings, um, everything, uh, commercial office, uh, schools, uh, science lab and technology uh, buildings. Um, so we, we do uh, the gamut of uh, all, all types of uh, design services. And so let me ask you, what was your motivation for writing this book? Sure. Um, when we first started talking about it, somewhere around 2014, 2015, um, there were, uh, we had conversations about the challenges of the architectural profession. Um, we learn a lot in architecture school about designing, but not so much about how to run a firm and, and, and just the business of uh, running a firm. So as, you know, the company was trying to grow and uh, different opportunities were um, out there. I really wanted to share the wisdom that I had gained with with others who were in the profession, especially uh, younger uh, people just coming out of school or younger architects also trying to grow their own firms, just trying to pass on some wisdom about what I had learned. So let me start with in your preference. Um, You said, I wrote this book because I feel there is a critical need for the architecture industry to conduct a self-examination and essentially reinvent itself. So what is it that architecture needs to do to keep prospering and growing? Sure. I guess one of the most evident problems is that people really don't understand what the architect does. Um, People will um, ask you what you do for a living, and then you say, I'm an architect, and they say, oh, you draw blueprints, which may have been true years ago, but uh, today uh, we do uh, uh, so much more, and, and even then we did so much more than just, just draw uh, pretty pictures. Um, the architect is very much the orchestrator of a large a team of people. It takes a, a lot of different uh, minds, uh, disciplines, to put a building together. So... Um, you know, the architect is, is playing that crucial uh, role of um, funneling or a lot of information, a lot of different sources of, of information into a solution. 
Um, people don't really know that. They, they see the end result as the building, but they don't see all of the, the, the effort, um, brain power <laughs> that goes into uh, managing the knowledge uh, uh, that's required to, to make uh, design the, the structure to be functional and to be, um, of course, stable and, and, and usable. So um, I think that's that's the biggest challenge of architects not um, having that sort of PR uh, and uh, the public not knowing what we do, um, and and then on top of that is the uh, you know the issue of focusing just on design uh, and not so much on running a practice or running a company uh, because the problem becomes um, it's hard to sell design services the same way that you would sell a product uh, like in, in other industries and other industries are doing very creative things uh, with um, uh, business wise, you know, mergers, acquisitions, and these, these other things that, that architects were not doing so much. Um, the um, often, uh, you know, a, a sole proprietor or a professional will, you know, work until they never, architects never retire. They'll, they'll work forever. And then, um, you know, when they, they pass, the, the, the business closes. And, th- and that's not really ideal for, for running a business. You want a succession. You want a succession plan. Um, so uh, these are just a few of the things that, that uh, are the problem with, with uh, architecture today. And um, in your first uh, chapter here, it's architecture today, the current state of the profession. I like that. Um, so it, yeah, architecture is a well-respected profession. It's been around for thousands of years. Think about yes. it, all the way back Rome, pre-Rome, sure, uh, sure. all the great architecture that we all love to visit in Europe. Um, so, um, but, you know, you talk about, you know, the public's general impression is that it's for the elite. Um, yes. you know, mm-hmm. Can I ask you, is architecture for everyone or just the elite? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we all experience architecture every day. Um, we, most of us, you know, we uh, have a home, we go to an office, um, we go to community buildings, whether it's the uh, library, fire station, uh, police stations, these places that we interact with. And we, we all should, um, uh, it's it's been said architecture influences us and we influence the architecture. Um, so it's, it's very, uh, I think it's important that people have a good understanding about, um, how important their built environment is. I believe other, um, uh, countries sort of put more of an interest in, um, importance in young children learning about the built environment in, in, uh, in architecture. We do less of that here in the United States. And I think that's, uh, unfortunate because it's, uh, people should, should learn early on about, uh, just how architecture influences them and then how they can inflect and influence, um, their own uh, communities in architecture. That's true. It kind of gets into a little bit of urban planning too. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Talking about people, uh, we talk about here about uh, the demographics, and since we're both women here, I'm in landscape architecture, but it's mm-hmm. you know we just do mm-hmm. we just do the outside of the building, mm-hmm. um, and the dismal numbers for uh, women in architecture school. Um, how mm-hmm. do you how are you addressing that at your uh, in this book and and at your school? Absolutely, um, it, it's interesting. I'll touch on the urban planning uh, just for a minute. I did the urban planning as a master's uh, degree because I wanted to understand the context that the building goes into. So architecture is really just focusing on that that single building, but urban planning, urban design is what's happening outside of the building. And as you know, as a, a landscape architect, it's it's 
it influences uh, the building out how uh, the uh, whole city and community is perceived. So that that's very important. Um, today, we're fortunate that there are many more women in the profession. Um, many of the architecture schools across the country are almost 50% um, female uh, today. And we're making great strides in the, the number of women who are in the profession. I think a number somewhere between uh, 17 and, and 20 percent uh, licensed architects are, are um, uh, women. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> um, so um, we're, we're certainly trying my, my own firm. Um, we have 60 percent uh, women and, and people of color on the staff. So we're very much trying to um, make sure that everyone has the uh, equal opportunity to uh, advance. Okay, this is getting a little bit off subject, but still kind of relevant. Um, you know, ha- what are some of the barriers to women entering this profession, um, and how do you address that? Sure. Um, often, um, women uh, who want to go into the architect's profession, sometimes they get uh, deterred and, and pers- may pursue more of a, um, what may be viewed as more of a, a female or woman-oriented field as the interior design field. Uh, sometimes that, that does happen. Um, others will get into the profession and um, because of the uh, very long work hours that expected and um, issues of um, planning, family planning and having families, uh, they uh, may uh, opt out or at some point uh, opt out of um, architecture and, and move to another field if they have to be out for a while um, uh, for uh, you know, raising children, or what have you. And um, sometimes the technology moves so quickly, you have to really catch up. Um, and that is um, another reason that uh, women may not stay in the profession after they get into the profession. So there are challenges, but I, I am um, pleasantly, uh, very, very happy that uh, a lot more uh, women are going into entering and staying in the profession. Well, that kind of goes to uh, your next chapter. You wrote this one. It was transitioning from academia to corporate culture. Um, And in here you talk about uh, for most schools of architecture, the faculty is comprised largely of staff who are not present in daily uh, in the daily architectural practice environment and thus cannot provide the level of real world experience that's needed by today's emerging professionals. Um, How do you address that in your own business and and at your own school? you know, I, I kind of understand that, you know, uh, you really wanted to learn real stuff. Right, right. Um, it, this is certainly a challenge. I'm, I'm um, fortunate to be at a, a university where all of the um, uh, professors, all the instructors have been licensed and practicing architects. But that's extremely unusual for, for a school of architecture. Many times they're not license or, or, or practicing architects at the, at the um, academic level. So um, I think there are certain, um, I think we should strive to make sure that they are uh, practicing and, and licensed because uh, it's, uh, I can bring in real world projects for the students to actually work on and, and see and they'll, over time they'll get to experience it, uh, you know, um, come to come to life. They, maybe they didn't design it, but they can certainly experience that project that they worked on under someone else's hands and direction and design comes to fruition and they're watching it. It does uh, make a difference for them. Um, there is a, each school of architecture is some focus more on technology and some focus on 
concept and theory. Um, we, we've got to get more of a balance, um, you know, between the technical, the concept and theory and the business, you know, talking about how do you actually run a business, practice architecture and potentially take some other um, classes outside of uh, the school of architecture for that purpose. Yeah. And here you talk about, you know, um, so what is the effect on the industry um, if merging professionals could start their careers equipped with knowledge to be successful business people? Um, imagine if they could hit the ground running. Um, is that possible um, from architecture schools? Can you say here it takes 15 to 20 years after a freshman rolls to learn and develop these skills? Um, how can they, if they want to do their own business, how can they skip ahead or jump ahead? Right. It's, it's such a, it's a long road, it's a long, slow road. Um, but we, again, we are making progress in that uh, even just getting licensed, it used to be people did not even get licensed till they were over 30 years old. Um, but today the, the licensing requirements have changed. You can take exams immediately after uh, graduation or even you can start testing, uh, I think, while in school. So um, you can come out um, uh, or start your career earlier uh, being licensed. Now that doesn't mean that you've learned how to run the business. So uh, I think um, uh, encouraging emergency emerging professionals to be involved in internships during um, their school uh, years, during uh, their academic years, and um, that that's going to be a really strong um, learning lesson uh, to to help uh, students to, to get ahead. Uh, and then interacting with other disciplines, we do it. As professionals, we do it uh, every day. We, we work side by side with all types of engineers, but at the uh, academic level, the architects are not necessarily working with the engineering students, the, the architecture department. So these types of um, nuances, I think, could help a great deal in getting students more prepared for coming out into the profession. So here's, here's the crux of the book here. This is it. So the big question, what makes a successful business? What do you think? <laughs> yes, um, that is, it's always uh, this, we live in a capitalist society, so it's always going to be revenue, right? Uh, your uh, returns uh, on your, your product, your, your services that you're selling. Um, but there's, there's uh, so many other things that architects identify with, uh, helping the community build um making a better built environment. Um, today you've got sustainability and resiliency issues, of course, social equity and justice issues. There's uh, many markers that I think need to be um, uh, weigh, that need to weigh in on whether you're, you're being successful in addition to the, the revenue, because everyone goes into business to make money. So um, architects um, have a, um, uh, I guess the, the myth is that architects just enjoy what they do and don't really <laughs> care about getting paid for it. But th that's not a businessman. That's that's a, that's a hobby. If you're in uh, practice and you're running a business, you need to, to make the money. So uh, I think just um, recognizing that and, and working toward that uh, early on is, is important for anyone who wants to enter the profession. We've got a couple things here. You talk about provide strong leadership, put together a good team keep open communication lines. So um, this is always a big topic in architecture schools is, uh, well, so how, how do you put together a good team? Yes. Um, having people who can uh, think creatively and um, uh, it's, it's um, you know, everyone says 
think out of the box, but it, it's true. It's someone who's not going to always take the traditional approach and think of things in a, in a different way is really um, the type of person that you want on your team. Um, sometimes it takes, uh, you know, a little, little uh, more time or hours to, to put into that presentation to win the project or, or to um, go above and beyond what the client's expectations are. But uh, it's, it's those type of people that uh, you really want on your, on your team um, to, uh, to be the most successful. Um, of course, you want a diverse um, uh, staff, uh, as I mentioned before. Uh, that's in many ways, uh, age, culture, um, uh, types of buildings that they've worked on. Um, you want uh, just all the different um, types of uh, thinking, uh, ideology that, that you can get in a room when you're trying to provide a solution. So I, I think that uh, really helps in uh, developing the, the best team. Well, that kind of goes into, uh, well, this is Carl's chapter here. It talks about mm-hmm. teamwork. Um, you've got um, leadership matters, organizational structure in the firm. Um, so what about, what's so important about organizational structure in a firm? How does that make it work or make it not work? This is something we discuss all the time within our firm um, because we're, the people have a tendency to, to want a very organized, um, you know, hierarchical system um, for their structure and most firms too. And I, I think I talked about that in the book, but what we've actually been practicing over the last uh, year or two is more of a, a flat, um, flat structure where no one is, um, you know, the, the lines of hierarchy aren't there and everyone sort of gets to contribute everywhere. So it's, it's very, it's much more loose. A lot some people don't like to work in that kind of environment, but um, I, I think, well, it's still an experiment. I can't say if it's, it's if it's working or not. But uh, I, I think um, we, if we continue uh, this road, we've been growing, and I think it's going to help us continue to grow in this manner. What kind of what do you do in your firm? How do you um, how do you put together your organizational teams and structure? What kind of titles do you use? You're talking about titles, right? Um, well, we have uh, principals, um, uh, associate principals. And then our senior staff, um, be them uh, project managers or, or project architects, and then um, uh, you know uh, mid-level staff, architects and interior designers, and of course emergency emerging professionals. Uh, uh, after that, you know um, people are just coming out of school, so um, we have the titles, but they're not um, uh, a really um, defined uh, said line line of a uh, hierarchy between design studios or um, uh, way that you uh, have to go to to uh, move forward or move up in, in the firm it's much more flexible I think than a typical firm well that sounds good for learning because then you're right alongside um, other people and you're you're kind of learning and doing at the same time with the more experienced professionals then correct you can learn from more experienced professionals and um, you can learn about uh, different projects and things because you, you have the opportunity to work on different projects as well as doing different things. You might be doing business development one day or, um, you know, working on construction documents uh, the next day or um, uh, doing some marketing. Uh, it, it, it really uh, depends on what the firm needs, especially a, a smaller size firm. So you uh, everyone has to wear a lot of hats um, and then you, you do learn a lot more that way. Well, here's, here's everyone's favorite topic. Um, and you know, you got, profit centers. Um, 
So how do you, how do you, how, what's, what's going to generate the income for um, this business? What are profit centers that you found that work best um, in the architecture profession? Right. There's few ways of, of looking at it. Of course, there's market sectors. And um, when you have uh, downturns in the economy or recessions, you want to make sure that you are diversified in your market sectors. We have been uh, sort of focused on our bread and butter on uh, K-12 um, um, projects, school projects, but we're getting into um, more uh, science, STEM, uh, technology projects. It's more of, a, a, I guess, a niche and more um, steady work you could say. Um, of course, uh, higher education is another market sector that we are um, uh, trying to uh, move uh, forward in as well. Um, that's a harder market sector to get into, but to, it's a um, more, uh, I think, stable one. And, and there are others uh, as well, but um, targeting your um, your firm to certain markets, uh, uh, federal is the other one that, that I um, missed, where we're um, looking to do more federal government work uh, also. And that's a, um, a way of uh, making sure that when a recession comes or economic downturn, one market will go down, but another market will go up or, or at least you have some that stays steady. So that's, that's an important um, thing to have or um, that your, your firm looks at being uh, very diverse in the types of markets that you pursue. Well, then this kind of leads to, um, one part of this book I thought was really interesting and it was about comparing like architecture uh, rates to say lawyers. Um, And you say in here, boosting the uh, revenue by increasing value proposition. And, you know, why do designers get hired? How do we get paid? And yet you're saying also, you know, the legal profession, you know, they don't struggle with these issues. They do. They could charge 300, 400, $700 an hour. Uh, What's, what's, uh, how, how can architecture do better? Right. Uh, that's a difficult one because, again, goes back to the um, public understanding what the architect does. Um, the architects don't typically charge per, you know, every 15 minutes for, for our, our work like, the, like a, a lawyer does or even um, uh, for medicine. People don't really understand what doctors do. They're typically not going to try and uh, do on their own the things that a, a doctor or a lawyer do. But People do try to be their own architect often or, or designer. Um, so I think people to understand uh, just the intellectual um, uh, uh, knowledge that goes into um, designing and, and building well, then um, I think they would be more likely to um, pay uh, the, uh, at the higher levels uh, for, for the services that uh, the architect provides. Um, so... Um, how do we, how do we charge more? How do we, how do we, did you find a way to, how do you sell yourself better to justify, uh, these hourly rates and find new Mm -hmm. sources of income? Right. And that sort of goes back to delivering more, um, for the client. You have to educate the client as you're going along and, um, provide, um, uh, the solution, but you've got to sort of go a step further and provide more than what more than what they're looking for. Right. Um, it's uh, it, because that once they are satisfied, more than satisfied, they're really happy. Then you can um, uh, rely or hopefully rely on uh, ref- referrals and, and repeat clients at that point. Um, it's uh, 
it's difficult. It's just, like I said, it's not like selling a, a, a product. Services are, are very, um, I guess, more suggestive, you could say. Um, but it's it's going above and beyond is, is one way of, um, of being able to uh, ask for and receive higher uh, hourly rates uh, with your with your services. Well, that's true. And you kind of go into that a little bit more here with um, process versus product. And um, the architect, you say architects have to constantly explain that design is a process. Uh, How do you, what do you do for your clients? How do you explain to them the value of design? But there's, there are, there's so many things out there today, like you know, we've got Home and Garden Channel. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of DIY mm-hmm. software. What's it, it's kind of a devil's advocate question? Uh, so, <laughs> what's, what's the difference between us and just you know picking up some software and I could design it myself? Right, right. Well, there, there's just so many things that goes into a, the, a design project. Uh, you don't half of it you don't know until you do get into it, and then um, you know sort of. Uh, educating the client, bringing them along, giving them uh, several solutions and explaining the reasons for the uh, solutions and why one um, solution might have gone this way and why another one went that way. And then tying it back to the client's um, own vision, uh, a mission, their goals. Um, that That is the uh, important part of, uh, of leading, the, leading the client along and then determining um, really the, the best solution for, for whatever situation it is. And, and it's all individual too. It's, you know, about knowing space and everything in that. So, well, I'm kind of, I didn't actually know this until I read this in your book and you're talking about learning from the Apple process. Can you tell us uh, what is the Apple design process? Well, they, Apple focuses on the end user and their, um, uh, uh, the, the, how they're going to use the product and uh, making it look uh, look good. Um, it's less about the the, the technical um, uh, issues. It, it's sort of just the opposite of what, what we're trying to do. Less about the technology of it, but it's more about how you're going to benefit from using it in, in, in the end. Um, architects could, could um, potentially uh, do that, and I think we do in the sense that people... Um, experience the building and enjoy it, but I don't really under- think they understand uh, the decisions that were made and why something's placed here or there, why one thing is one color or another or a, a type of material or other. Um, there, there's just so many reasons that it happens, whether it's the, um, uh, just uh, human ergonomics or, or, or um, how we respond to our environments or if it's uh, code related or if it's cost related, um, just so many things that uh, could um, sway um, which way it goes. Yeah. And it's about, you know, how do they, how do they afford their design process? But then again, they can also replicate what they do too. Yes. Yes. That's very true. Um, it's, it's the same every time <laughs> and, and design is not like that. Um, can architects um, resell? and sell uh, what they do, like Apple? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And this is something I've had many conversations about as well. Um, some architects will say that's taboo and it's absolutely sacrilege to consider. Um, others, I think, um, 
are, are more open to the idea because um, there is a certain amount of uh, information or, or design that can be passed um, from one project, like a prototype from one project to another. And uh, with some site adaptation, you could potentially um, reuse the basis of that project elsewhere on another site. Um, no, uh, very few people have tried it. Um, you, you do see um, home plans. That's one um, uh, sort of product commodity that's taken off since, I mean, since Sears uh, houses, Sears and Roebuck houses um, uh, hundreds of years ago. But um, today, uh, they, there's still house plans online. You can buy those, but it really hasn't gone much further than uh, houses, maybe even churches uh, that you can sort of... Um, uh, package and resell the plans to. But that's something I think that may be coming in the future. And if architects aren't careful, someone else um, outside of the industry will come in and, and provide that solution if it's what the user or the end user wants. So I, I, again, the architect needs to be more savvy about business uh, in that regard, because we could be more um, pushed out <laughs> further uh, from the profession than we have been uh, already. Well, that that's true. Um, actually, I, I have built my own house um, before mm -hmm. I, I went to school. Actually, uh, mm -hmm. my I had a photography business, and uh, the gentleman beside me had a draftsman business. And he said, "Well, here you go, Trish. This is your small section for your budget." I went, "Okay," mm -hmm. um, but I, I picked a house plan that I liked, and then mm -hmm. of course he's a friend, so he he worked it a little bit and. Mm -hmm. uh, it was somebody previously on his staff. We had a big firm and, and, uh, I hired a general contractor and I built it and, uh, it turned out fabulous, but yeah, it just started off as a stock plan. Mm. Right. Right. I guess uh, you only, you would know if, um, there are things or features in the house that maybe you would have liked to have done differently had the, you know, um, architect designed it from, from scratch. Uh, I don't know, but, um, Certainly, I, I think in, in most situations, uh, they could do exactly what you did and be pretty happy with the result. I'd say in that situation for my budget, I was, um, I was very happy with the result um, mm. because we did some things. But uh, if, I had, if I had a bigger budget, then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, the sky's the limit. <laughs> well, you know, I'd have a small bathroom, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and a laundry room, you know. Right, I, right, I did, right. I but really, I think for the most part, yeah, you know, starting with the stock plan was good. It gave me a foundation mm -hmm. and then and tweaking it. And then I added my own little things nice to it. Like I had a little um, Whirlpool bathtub. So that was my little treat, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was uh, for what it was and for that budget, it was it was a great little house. I right. I don't have any complaints. So yeah, I can see how. Um, yeah, you know, even starting with that, for me as a from coming at it, I came out as a client first. Uh, that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But you can that. understand how um, I guess some architects would think that that's you know <laughs> so so uh, taboo to, to do something like that because every project should be custom and special and, and all this. So it's it's going to take. Uh, I think some of the profession uh, some time to, to adapt again to, to um, that going into more maybe commercial buildings. And, um, we'll see. Well, I mean, I think this book is about thinking outside the box too. Right. Right. And I would say, I'll, I'll say his name. It was Mick McGrail, American house plans. Uh, mm -hmm. He, uh, it was, he had a great little business and um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, and especially for a client like me, obviously he did custom plans and big stuff, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, for the little person like me, that was, that was a great starter house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's right. definitely an opportunity. Um, and that kind of goes into this, you know, the architect as a developer. Um, mm-hmm. so do architects go into to developing your own projects or how does that work? Yes, that's something that I would certainly encourage um, uh, any architect to, to look into and something we are looking to get into our, ourselves um, because the architect knows the, the process from, you know, finding the, the, the site, what, what sites to look for, to designing the building, to constructing the building. And um, uh, since we know the process, why not um, take uh charge of the entire process rather than just being involved in the design portion. Um, Because of the way uh, the design and construction industry works, typically uh, general contractors um, or or developers, they take the lead because they have the the financial means to do so. They, they, the person with the money takes, takes charge of the project. So that's the the, the developer. Um, But if the architect becomes the developer, they can have more say in the, in the project, um, like, you know, determine uh, the site, what the what the site needs, um, what the um, have to do some um, you know market analysis, see what uh, people need at, at that particular site, and then design it and, and build it. Um, the architect's issue again is is the financial or the the business aspect, which you know we don't have the uh, quite experience with how to get that uh, funding, uh, how to make the real estate financing work, and um, and then actually uh, uh, build the project and then um, make a return on that uh, down the road. So I think it's um, certain something in our um, certain something that we can do and it has been done. I, we talk about um, uh, uh, Portman um, in, in Atlanta and some other um, architects that have done it in the past. And um, uh, again, I would certainly encourage architects to, to look at that as a way to uh, grow their practices and, um, and, and, and be more successful in, in the industry. So what kind of projects did he do? You mentioned Portman in here. Uh, oh, can you name a, a project that he did um, that was successful? Yes, he did. The, I believe it was the, um, the uh, Atlanta uh, Hilton um, projects, or I'm sorry, Hyatt uh, projects. And um, uh, with the atrium, that was his um, sort of uh, unique feature, the, the large open atrium um, for the hotels. And uh, he um, developed several of those um, for that company and was very successful uh, doing it. So you also put here, you know, reality check. Um, so what's a reality check of really getting into um, a business like that? I mean, you're not going to start something like that on a credit card. True, true. Um, I tell uh, my students and, and young people, make sure that you have good credit, uh, even from, you know, as a freshman, because you're, you're going to need to build on that credit and get loans and, and things um, as you uh, get in, into your career. So it's very important to know how to access money. And that's not something that students are taught or, you know, early in your career, right? So again, those taking those business classes, real estate finance class or, or something early on uh, would be a, a very uh, helpful thing. And then, um, you know, partnering with um, 
those business students <laughs> um, looking at, uh, instead of just, you know, finding another architect partner to open your firm with, find someone who's maybe not in architecture and, uh, and try to um, uh, build the business that way. Because um, not everyone, everyone should have uh, different skill sets uh, that they bring to the table. Okay, well, I'm going to change one sentence in your book here because you put it twice. You put cash is king. I'm going to say, you know, cash is also queen now. <laughs> right, right. And Bitcoin and, and all the other <laughs> sort of uh, technical um, uh, ways of, of paying for things. We've, we've got to keep up with technology. That's right. So that's true. Um, I had business classes, um, mm-hmm. my first undergraduate program, and, and that's really important. You talk about here too, about the basics of financial management. So um, what are the good basics of financial management? Right. Having your, your team around you, um, your you know, accountants, your uh, attorneys, um, having the correct software, that's, that's something that we struggle with uh, as architects because software is not really, accounting software is not really written for the architecture firm. There's, there's a few um, out there that, uh, you know, I think we mentioned in the book, uh, Arca Office, uh, or it's got a new, new name now, but um, uh, Dell Tech for the, the big firms and some other uh, product solutions, but there aren't a, a whole lot. And um, it's really sort of challenging for the architect because we do build differently than other industries. So um, that uh, is important to examine uh, the options for your accounting software and, and, and start to, to utilize and, and track your um, uh, app tracking hours and your um, invoices and uh, how um, it even uh, can use it for your uh, marketing efforts and, and these things. So uh, I think that's extremely important for um, someone who's starting out to make sure you have the right technology as in um, the accounting software. Oh, yeah, you do. You mentioned some here. You've got Dell Tech, uh, Bill Quick. And I hadn't heard of this one, Archie Office. Yes, I think they've changed the name now, but I use that. Um, it's, a, it's a good product, especially specifically for architects. I think it was designed by an architect, so um, it's a good good product. Um, now, I think this is, you know, sometimes you have to get into the nitty gritty. And um, we talk about this a little bit in your book about pricing, you know, project pricing, hourly billing. Um, what is what is a future business person to do understanding professional fees and fee structures. Um, I guess there's no, how do you do it? What do you do? Right. Yes. That's, um, there aren't a lot of sources that, um, help you to price your, um, services or know what the going hourly rates are for, for other architects. You sort of have to wing it for a while. There, there are, um, there's one, uh, gentleman in my, uh, I think it's sfia.net uh, and in California, and he's for years has been um, tracking um, architectural fees and, and project fees and, and providing percentages, typical percentages across the country or in different regions of the country, what uh, architecture firms are um, uh, charging. So that that has been very helpful, but a lot of people don't even know that exists. And, and, and unfortunately, again, he's it's only the only source that I have found for that information. Um, so things like that um, really, I think, are challenges for the for the industry um, to to know. I mean, what what is going to be accepted by the client as far as your your billing rate uh, is important. Well, that's true. Um, when I had when I have a photography business, um, 
really, I mean, it had just become such an accepted norm to have charge a session fee and then charge for the prints. Mm. Um, if you try to break out of that too far, yeah, you just come up against resistance. Right. Right. Um, and doing that. Um, so you kind of just have to, uh, get creative and make sure that you're stay profitable. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Um, uh, I think organizations, you know, um, like the, um, the AIA um, can provide some um, information, um, but it, it really is uh, a challenge to the profession about, uh, for especially for for young people entering the business. They get questions all the time: How much should I charge for for this project, or you know, what should my hourly rates be? And it's it's really hard to to give um, a number to do that. Um, well, and then it kind of goes to this, you know, the right fit, hiring people and finding clients. And I, I will say if any of my past photography clients are listening, I loved all of you, even the, even a couple <laughs> cranky ones every now and then <laughs> I, you know, I took it as, I took it as an extra challenge, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to make people happy. So how do you find the right clients? Yes, that, that, um, uh, can be a struggle <laughs> because even if you believe you found the right client and then slowly learning that client you might realize well maybe maybe i'm um, not uh, uh it wasn't what i uh, what i thought because uh, a lot of again a lot of people don't um hire architects or, or require architectural services on a um, regular basis so they they don't understand what it's like to work with an architect and what what is needed in addition yes you have the architect but there's a whole team the engineers and uh, permit um, uh, uh, expediters and uh, uh, reviewers, um, you know, inspectors, whatever else that might um, come along with it, um, the, the client might not be aware and has to be, again, educated on, on these things. So, um, and, and a client that's already aware and, and, and educated on the design construction process is your ideal client. They know what they want and you just have to, you know, work with them to get there. But the client that is maybe um, not as savvy and needs a lot more handholding um, uh, is a little more challenging. Yeah, that's true. And then it kind of goes into, uh, especially when, you know, discussing with clients about copyright um, and talk about intellectual property and who owns it. And, you know, that mm -hmm. that's tough in photography. And it, uh, mm. you know, with digital came in that clients demanded uh, copyright to the digital files. And uh, I'm not sure if I agree with this, but we all have heard this. I didn't know who said it though. Uh, Charles Colton famously said, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that. What do you think? Right. Yes. Yes. I've, I've heard that, that same saying, and, and that sort of takes me back to the, the um, commodity commodification of the design drawings when you're, you know, using the same drawing over and over again, um, that, could maybe be um, uh, a matter of looking at that that quote, but um, we have the same issue as, as you have with uh, the photography. Um, some clients, uh, the public clients, they they will um, in their contracts say that they have uh, ownership or intellectual property of the design when it's done, and the architect typically will agree to that, or or maybe not. They may be able to write it out of the contract, but um, other. Um, uh, entities, especially private or you know residential or, or what have you, um, may believe that they have the um, 
the copyright on on those drawings when they're done, and they actually do not. So that's another thing that the uh, public has to be educated about with regard to working with an architect. Well, that kind of goes right to your last chapter here. So you've got all this intellectual property. You you've done a business for however many de- you know decades, let's say. So how much is your firm worth and uh, how do you sell it? Oh, yes. Um, this is, um, so I've been involved with uh, uh, Verger. I actually purchased another firm in um, uh, it was 2016. And uh, to learn a little bit up, up front and, and personal about um, how um, acquisition, uh, how mergers work is with regard to valuing the company. And um, I mean, just rule of thumb off off the, the cuff, you would say, you know, whatever the um, revenue was for the, the prior year, then, you know, sort of divide that in half and you might um, uh, have a ballpark of where to start with <laughs> for your um, valuation. Um, architecture firms are, are difficult because they, it's the principal typically who is the, the face of the firm and the person that uh, the client interacts with and the go-to person. And, if for some reason that person leaves or heaven forbid passes away, then a lot of the value goes away with that person. So the firm is, is um, very much uh, relies on, on that individual. And that's not really where you want to be with a, a business. So you've got to structure your, your business. So it's not just uh, about uh, the principal, um, but it's more about your steady um sales, staff, um, services, reputation, and everything else uh, involved. But uh, the actual valuation I would leave to um, companies that are out there, lots of them that deal with um, mergers and, and acquisitions. Um, they will, if you're interested, you just contact one of them and they'll tell you they, they may have an architecture firm for sale or, or um, someone who's looking to uh, enter a merger and they would be sort of your brokerage um, uh, point for um for doing for doing that and helping to uh, value uh, evaluate uh, the, the firm, both your firm and, and the firm that you're interested in, in buying. Oh yes, that's start start at the end and work backwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, Kathy, I know we've taken up a lot of your time today, and I want to thank you so much for being here. This is a very fascinating book. It's a it's a great one uh, for students or even. Uh, professionals that are in the field that want to think about uh, getting into their own business. Um, so can you tell the audience, uh, what exciting projects are you working on now? Sure. We have a number of projects, uh, commercial projects in the, uh, on the works and on the boards. Um, we've got a university project uh, in Baltimore, which is uh, on, a, on a campus there, um, about a hundred, um, over a hundred million dollar um, new campus building uh, labs and, classrooms and, and other disciplines. Um, we're finishing up a commercial office in um, uh, Alexandria, uh, Virginia. We've teamed with one of the largest uh, firms in the world, I believe it is, uh, Gensler, and we did uh, architectural interiors for that project, and it's under construction now, so we're doing construction administration work. We are also the prime consultant on a, a project that's about to go uh, out to bid, uh, which is a um, uh, forensic science lab. Um, and uh, you know DNA and serology testing um, in uh, the county. So we're really proud of that a project, which will be a, a lead lead gold project, uh, as well as a new elementary school in um, in, uh, in Maryland. Uh, we are again the prime architect, and that one will be um, finishing up 
construction documents and, and going to um, uh, construction um, not until probably early next year uh, after the students uh, finish uh, the fall semester. Um, but I think probably the most um, interesting project that we're working on right now is a um, sustainable townhouse development, which is um, uh, a, a net zero uh, project, uh, townhouses for workforce development that'll be off the grid. They call it a, a microgrid infrastructure. So it'll be off the standard power grid. Um, it's the uh, 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 tenants or the residents will be able to, you know, move in with uh, affordable homes that, you know, have solar power and um, other uh, energy resources and uh, still be able to purchase and um, purchase a home and uh, live in the uh, county where they work. So uh, it's one of just a few uh, in the nation. Um, there, uh, as much as we talk about sustainability and resilience, there really aren't a lot of prototype communities like this. So we're very happy to be on the early uh, planning end of, uh, of that uh, concept housing for our, our local uh, county. Oh, that sounds fascinating. So you've got uh, more books to write then, huh? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, again, Kathy, thank you so much for being here today. And I want to let our audience know that the book is The Business of Architecture, Your Guide to a Financially Successful Firm by Kathy Dixon, Timothy Kephart, and Carl Moody, published by Ratledge in 2018. And again, this has been Tricia Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And if you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And thank you for listening today.